Good afternoon, everyone. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. We are in a series, uh, continuing our series called Eastertide, um, Living the Resurrection Every Day. And uh, as I've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, the reason why we continue in this series is because of a wonderful line from this author, Ron Rollheiser, who said, that our culture knows how to anticipate an event, but we don't know how to sustain it. And so we want to get everything we can out of these beautiful post-resurrection stories and conversations that Jesus had with his disciples because whatever Jesus spoke to his disciples, these are words that he wants to speak to us uh, today. And so uh, last week we talked about breakfast. Today we're gonna talk about following the risen Jesus, John chapter 21 uh, in verse 15. And so hold on to your place there. We'll get back there in a moment, but let's invite the Spirit of God to speak to us and, and to um, transform us through the gift of Scripture today. And so, Father, we offer you this time. We ask that your kingdom would come in powerful ways, that as we open up Scripture, may you speak to us, may you open our eyes, may you open our ears, may you open our hearts to receive everything you want to give us today. And so uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Uh, One of the more stressful experiences in life is having to follow someone in a car who's supposed to lead you to a specific destination, especially at night. A few years ago, I took a trip to Pennsylvania driving behind a friend who was supposed to lead me on a retreat that I was speaking at. And this is before there was GPS on the phone. This is before I could afford a regular GPS. And so my GPS was the guy driving in front of me. And so he said, just follow me. We're going to Pennsylvania. Just follow me. And so I followed him for a couple of hours. And at one point, as you know, if you've done this before, uh, there was a car that cut in front of me uh, from the car that I was supposed to be following. And so after about three or four minutes of following some other car. I'm peeking. I'm trying to see if that's the person there. Someone asked me last service, how come the person didn't put the blinkers on? My friends are not that smart. And so the person starts driving and I finally get behind another car that actually looks exactly like the car that I was following. Except it wasn't the car that I was following. It was the same car, but it was a different driver. And so when that person got off the exit, I got off the exit. When the person made a left, I made a left. When the person made a right, I made a right. And at that moment, after about 30 minutes of following this person, I started thinking, I don't think this is the person I was supposed to be following. And I also started thinking, how terrified must this person be in front of me? For 30 minutes, I've been following this person. And so this person gets to this gas station, the crowded gas station, and they get out the car, and my greatest fears were confirmed. It was not the person, my friend, that I was supposed to be following. And very easily, I lost my way. Now, as I thought about this incident, I thought about of the challenges of following someone like this. I thought this is a good metaphor for Christianity, for the Christian life, because Christianity is all about following. Christianity is all about following Jesus. 
And just like the car story, it's easy to lose your way. It's easy to think that we are following Jesus when all the while we were following someone else or something else and don't find out until much later. But to be a Christian means that we are consistently learning how to follow Jesus, staying close to him in every situation, and yet this is a very difficult thing for us to do. In our passage this afternoon, we come across a story of a conversation the risen Jesus has with his disciples, and he's telling them about what it means to follow him. In John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15, this is after Jesus just had breakfast with them, and now he has a conversation with them that follows. This is what it says. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. And this is what I want to focus on and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must Follow me. Our text today comes right after last week's story of Jesus having breakfast with his disciples. Jesus surprises his disciples. He comes on the scene. You remember Jesus coming in ordinary circumstances, ordinary situations, and he surprises his disciples with a meal. And if you recall, uh, Jesus' breakfast was comprised of two things, generous forgiveness and gracious friendship. And up to this point, Jesus has revealed himself to his disciples in context of groups. When Jesus first reveals himself, he comes to his disciples as they lock themselves in a room for fear of the Jews. And recall, Jesus says, it's me. He says, Thomas, you know, touch my wounds, touch my hands. The first time he reveals himself is in the context of a group. Jesus also reveals himself to two men that are on the road to Emmaus. He reveals himself in the context of a small group. And then last week we saw that Jesus reveals himself again in a group context to his disciples as they are fishing. But now Jesus seems to be getting personal. They enjoy breakfast with him, and it seems like Peter is pulled to the side And it's like Jesus says, Peter, can I have a word with you alone? Now, imagine how nervous Peter might feel at this moment. He's the one who denied Jesus three times. He was supposed to be the leader, and he abandoned Jesus when Jesus needed him most. This is probably a very terrifying moment for Peter. Jesus saying, Peter, can I talk to you alone? It's like whenever your teacher would say to you after you're acting up in class, hey, after class, let's talk. 
wait for me after class, we are going to talk. That's just terrifying language. In college, I recall, I was given an assignment to do, and I had to give a 30-minute presentation on a book that my professor assigned me, uh, except I didn't read the book. And uh, I read the dust cover of it, a couple of chapters, and I had to give a 30-minute presentation. And so I, I, th- I, th- I think I can just, I think I can do it there. And so I start getting up. It was something about post-modernity, post-modernism and everything. And so I'm up there, and for 15 minutes, I'm talking about post-modernism. And the professor says, hey, Rich, could you stop for a moment? I say, I, I, I'm on a roll. I'm like, yeah, what, what, what's up? And he goes, you didn't read the book, did you? And I go, uh, no, I did it. And he goes, okay, keep going. (laughs) And so I kept going, making up stuff as I went there. (laughs) And then at the end of my presentation, he said, okay, Rich, uh, wait for me after class. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this is terrible news. And so the class ends, and and the other students go, Rich, don't forget to talk to the professor after class there. (laughs) And he comes up to me, and in very just direct words, he says, Rich, you know, you have a gift and you have a curse. I said, thank you. You know, um, he said, the gift is um, you can give a 30-minute presentation without reading much material. He says, the curse curse is um, you'll think you can live off of that and not develop your character and think that your gifts can take you there. So you need to grow up. Then he just kind of walked out the classroom there. When Jesus calls Peter, Peter's probably waiting to get rebuked. He's probably waiting for Jesus to share some sharp words with him. And so we see something quite surprising, though, because instead of Jesus telling Peter, Peter, you should have done this and you should have done that, we see Jesus asking Peter some very simple questions. Look at the conversation. Peter says to him, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. And I love that because he's like giving him his full name. It's like when my mother would call me, Richard Albert Velotis Jr. I was like, oh, no, I'm in trouble, you know. He tells me his full name, Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, I do. Then the third time he says, Simon, son of John, do, uh, do you love me? Now, many people have preached some amazing sermons on this, and there's so much to be said, but I just want to say this, that I find it interesting that Jesus asked the question three times. I remember when Peter denied Jesus, he denied him three times. It seems like Jesus is canceling out his denials. Peter, you denied me three times. I'm giving you an opportunity to make amends for it here. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Then he says, follow me. It's like he's saying, let's start all over. Let's let's act as if that didn't happen. Let's start fresh. You ever met someone and the conversation just went bad? When I get home from work from time to time, I'll have start the conversation with Rosie, and within 10 minutes, there's a little bit of tension in the air. And, and then I go, can we start this conversation all over? It's like Jesus is saying, you went down a road, but now I'm giving you an opportunity to adjust here. And then he says, follow me, start all over. Sometimes you just need to start all over. And I love that Jesus Christ gives us the grace to start all 
over. And so Jesus offers grace to Peter. He reinstates him to be the leader of the disciples and apostles. And then Jesus starts talking about the cost of what it's going to mean to follow him. Now, this is not new language for Peter. Peter heard this language before about following him, but now Jesus gives some different language, and this is what I want to focus on because whatever Jesus speaks to Peter, he speaks to you this afternoon. He speaks to me this afternoon, and this is what he says. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And when Jesus uh, says these words, he's telling Peter the way that he's going to die. And according to church tradition, Peter was eventually led away and he was killed and he was crucified upside down because according to tradition, Peter said he was not worthy of being crucified the same way that Jesus was. And so Peter is this martyr bringing, bringing glory to Christ. And what happened to Peter might not happen to us, but I want to draw out some words because I believe that Jesus is speaking to us a very similar word regardless of your situation. And really, this is what I want to draw out. First of all, that following Jesus is often about going where you don't want to. Following Jesus is often about going places you don't want to. The text says someone will lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus is letting Peter know that to follow him means going often where we don't want to. Now, when we think about places we want to go, many of us have a list of places we want to go. We want to go to cities and islands. We have uh, images in our minds. We have a list in our notebook. We, we save money and we go to these places. There are places that we want to go, but none of us create a list of places we don't want to go to and then go there anyway. I'll never want to go there, but hey, you know what? Let's go there. No, no, we go to places that we want to go to, but let me tell you, even though we don't have a list of places we don't want to go, God has a list for us of places he wants us to go and things he wants us to do that often we don't want to do and places that we don't want to go. But being a disciple means that it's often about going and doing that which you don't want to do and going where you don't want to go. And, and, and the surprise is that as we go to these places, we are surprised with God's power and resurrection. Or said it this way, the degree to which we go places we don't want to is the degree to which we will experience a deep life with God. You say, I want a deep life with God, then go where you don't want to. Because it is only as we go into that space, in taking on our cross, that resurrection becomes available. This is why at New Life Fellowship, one of the things that I, I, I wish we just had on our elk right out front there is we hung a sign right off the neck of the elk that says, enter at your own risk. Enter our church at your own risk. Because we are going to invite you to go places in your discipleship, invite you to go places in your spirituality, in your life, in your singleness, in your marriage that you typically don't want to go in the first place. And all of us have those places where we don't want to go. For some of us, the places we don't want to go is having to perhaps deal with a conflict. There's someone that you know you need to 
have a conversation with, a difficult conversation with, to resolve certain things. And you sense God saying, I want you to go there. And everything inside of you is saying, no, I am not. I'll just avoid that person for the rest of my life. I am not having that conversation. And yet Jesus is saying, I want you to go places where you don't want to go. Or maybe it's a new life. We talk about uh, going into our past, looking at the ways that we've been shaped, the way we've been shaped by our families of origin. And many of us say, I am not going to go back. I'm not looking back at all. And yet we miss out on going back to experience God's resurrection power. For some of us, it's about forgiveness. God's saying, I want you to, to, to forgive someone, move towards forgiveness. And you're saying, uh-uh, I refuse to forgive that person. I refuse to go there. I'm not going there. And yet we miss out on the power and resurrection that is available to us. Maybe it's stepping out into leadership, that you sense God calling you to step into some form of leadership or to do something specifically as it pertains to mission, and something inside of you says, I do not want to go there. Or maybe... Going, it's, it's going to the place of vulnerability and honesty. And it's, you find it hard to go to the place of vulnerability, to be honest with someone else, maybe about a struggle that you have because of what it's going to conjure up inside of you, shame and guilt. After the first service, I met with a couple of men, and they said, Pastor Rich, can you pray for me. They each individually said, pray for me. And I said, what can I pray for you about? And they said, well, you preached a sermon today, and I feel convicted about going places I don't want to go, and, and so I, I, I have a, an addiction to pornography. Can you pray for me? And my first response was, um, have you ever sought help for this? Beyond just me praying for you, are you interested in getting help for this? Are you interested in going somewhere that you typically don't want to go? He wanted the prayer. And then I said, we have a group starting this Wednesday, right upstairs. Do you want to go? And he said, I don't know. I'll just take the prayer. <laughs> and often we just take the prayer. But Jesus is calling us to do more than just take the prayer. He's calling us to actually go places that we typically don't want to go. And this man did not want to experience a level of vulnerability and honesty. And I get it. It is a scary place. It is a fearful place. It is a place that can conjure up and bring up our shame. But yet this is the pathway towards resurrection. When Peter, interestingly enough, when he hears that Jesus calls him to follow him again to places that he doesn't want to go, it's interesting to see his reaction because his first response is to look at John. You remember John? Last week I talked about John. Peter doesn't like John because John is the one who's always saying, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. And so he was always like, Peter just was irritated. He had emotional allergies when he saw John, just like, this is the one who Jesus loved. And so when, Peter, when Jesus tells Peter, this is how you're going to die, the first thing that comes out of Peter's mouth is he looks at John. I love Peter for this. He's just so honest. He says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple who was, whom Jesus loved was following them. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, and what about him? 
Because, you know, misery loves company, doesn't it? It's like, if I'm going out like that, what about him? I want to know how he's going to die. And so Peter asks, what about him? And then Jesus goes, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? In other words, mind your business, Peter. Whatever I do with him is my business. You, and then really the emphasis is you, you must follow me. You, worry about yourself. You must follow me. And what we see in this is is that discipleship is following Jesus wherever that takes you. And this is the successful Christian life. A couple of weeks ago, Pete mentioned something in our, one of our meetings, and he posted it online, and I just, I thought it was fantastic that he said, success is following the will of God in your place, in your time, no matter where it leads. You want to be a successful Christian? It's following the will of God in your place, in your time, no matter where it leads. Jesus said, Peter, follow me. But Peter immediately started focusing on John's journey. And one of the biggest obstacles that we face in following Jesus is being overly preoccupied with what other people are doing. In short, we live our lives comparing ourselves to others over and over and over. What about him? Peter slipped into a comparison with John's journey. And at the core of the question is, is John going to die like I'm going to die because misery loves company? And if if I'm going to die like that, what's going to happen to this guy? And Jesus simply says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. A massive obstacle we face is being overly preoccupied with what other people are doing. It's the comparison trap. And we often compare our lives to each other. I see it all the time in playgrounds. When I take my little almost two-year-old son to the playground, there are other almost two-year-old kids running around. And I see parents just sizing each other up and sizing their children up, comparing. And I fall into it as well. The other day, I was just pushing my son on the swing. We're having a great time. And this little girl who looked like she was his age is being swung there. They're right next to each other except I started listening to this little girl talk, and this little girl was, like, really articulate. She looks at Nathan. She called, hey, baby. I'm like, and I'm like, trying to pick my son up, little girl? You know, just so, and she said, yeah, baby. And just she's saying these words with just so, with precision and, 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 and clarity, and the mother's talking to her, and my son who's about the same age just blah, 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 blah. And I'm pushing him, and then she's like, well, mommy, you know, I'm just like, how old is your daughter? (laughs) And we're pushing, how old is she? And it's about the same age as my son, and I'm going, oh, Lord, what's going on here? What is going on here? Comparing. We, We are always comparing. Comparing our homes to somebody else's home. Our car to somebody else's car. Our job to somebody else's job. 
our kids to somebody else's kids, our spouse to somebody else's spouse. We are always comparing. But no two people are the same. And what's most dangerous is not that we just compare, we, we compare our journeys to each other. And the journey that someone's on, that's their journey. That's not your journey. God has a journey for you. You must follow me, he says. And so he tells Peter, Peter, I've called you to do something. I've called you to be something. Peter, there is a particular path that I have you on. You must follow me. And this is what he says to all of us in this room. You must follow me later for what everyone else is doing. That's their journey. That's their pathway. You must follow me. And the sad reality of our lives is we're so busy focusing on what everybody else is doing, what everyone else is accomplishing, what everyone else is buying, that we miss out on the path that Jesus has for us. You must follow me. When Jesus has called you to follow him, there is a custom-made, tailor-made path that he wants you to walk on. That's not for somebody else. It's for you. It's your path. It's your journey. It's your way. You must follow me. Whoever God called you to be, he called you to be that. This is why I love uh, Oscar Wilde, the, the, the great 18th, 19th century uh, novelist. He says these words. He says, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. <laughs> everyone else is taken. Be yourself. There's a story of this famous rabbi that we've quoted from time to time at New Life, Rabbi Susia, who he had a, a existential dilemma. And this is how the story goes. It says, the story is told of Rabbi Susia, the great Hasidic master who lay crying on his deathbed. His students asked him, Rabbi, why are you so sad? After all the mitzvahs and good deeds you have done, you will surely get a reward in heaven. I'm afraid, said Susia, because when I get to heaven, I know God's not going to ask me, why weren't you more like Moses? Why weren't you more like King David? But I'm afraid that God will ask Susia, why weren't you more like Susia? And then what will I say? God called you to be you, not somebody else. God called you to a particular path, not somebody else's path. When God sees you face to face, he's going to say, why weren't you like you? Why didn't you walk on the path that I gave you to walk on? Why weren't you you? Follow me. You must follow me. Will it be difficult? Yes, but you must follow follow me? Will it take longer than I anticipated? Yes, but you must follow me. Will I face hard times without question, but you must follow me. And the reason why Jesus can say that with such authority is because he's letting Peter know, Peter, I am with you on the journey. I'm with you on the path. And I love that Jesus is with us because if there's anyone who understood what it was like, who didn't want to go someplace, it was Jesus. It was Jesus who, in the Garden of Gethsemane, had the cup of, uh, uh, before him, the cup that he was going to the cross, and he tells the Father, Father, if it's possible for me to pass this cup, the cup of suffering, 
can I pass it? But yet, not my will, but your will be done. If there's anyone who knows what it's like to go somewhere you don't want to go, it's Jesus. If there's anyone who's experienced the pain and suffering of the dark night of the soul, it's Jesus. And if there's anyone who's under, who understands that after going to the place you don't want to go, has tasted the resurrection and the victory of God, it is Jesus. And so when you follow Jesus, he knows where to take you. He's been to the cross, he's been to the darkness, and he's also seen the resurrection as well. He knows where to take you. You must follow me, he says. Because wherever I take you, would it get dark sometimes? Yes. But there's resurrection that's coming, and God has a resurrection, a joy, a life, a peace for all of us. But it means going places that you don't want to go. But we go knowing that he's with us, that he'll never leave us, that he'll never forsake us, that we don't go alone. This is why I love what Isaiah 43 says, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When Jesus says, follow me, he knows where he is going. And he's been to the darkest of depths, and he's also seen the highest of heights. You must follow me. Where don't you want to go today? What don't you want to do? What's that thing that you know God has called you to do, but you've said no? Hard conversation with someone, surrounding yourself in community, stepping out into leadership, practicing generosity, confessing your sins, being vulnerable and honest with others. What don't you want to do? Where don't you want to go? It is as we go to these places and it is as we do these things that the resurrection life becomes available to us. You must follow me. Let's pray together. I imagine in this room there are places we don't want to go because of fear, shame, uncertainty. And yet we are reminded that God is with us, that God is with you, that there is a life available to you as you follow the risen Jesus. And so can you name that place today? Can you name what the Spirit might be leading you to today? I want to just give us a moment and then we'll sing in response. But what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Where is he calling you to go? Let's pause and then we'll sing together.
Father, we confess this afternoon that we too often live in fear, shame, anxiety, and we don't go to the places you call us to. But yet your spirit is here, your power is available, and there is a life and resurrection that you want us to taste and experience. And so lead us by your spirit. And guide us in the way that we should go. May we follow you all the days of our lives. May we stick close to you. May we hold on to you. As you lead us into newness of life. And so we sing to you now words of worship and praise. You are the one who is alive. And because you are alive, we too can be alive. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand and sing together. Amen. As we close, I want to invite the prayer team to come to my left. We'll have the Lord's table to uh, my right. And the question is very simple. Where, where don't you want to go? I know where you probably want to go. You probably know that as well. But where don't you want to go? Where is Jesus inviting you to, as it were, take up the cross and follow him in doing something difficult, but that difficult act leads to life, resurrection, joy. Our prayer team is here because in order to follow in the way of Jesus, we can't do it alone. We need people with us on the journey, praying with us, praying for us, offering counsel, discernment, wisdom. And this is why we close every gathering with a time of prayer. Because to do what I've talked about today can't be done in our own strength. It takes the strength of the spirit and it takes the strength of community to do it. And this is why we're here. So whatever you sense God calling you to do, you can come up to receive prayer. And to my right, we have the Lord's table where we are reminded that Jesus Christ went to the cross on our behalf. And it is through the deepest darkness that we have experienced the brightest of lights through his resurrection. And so you can come and take bread as well and dip it in the cup. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new here, the reason we close every gathering like this is because this is a posture of receiving. You cannot give what you have not received. And we are reminded that the favor of God, the grace of God, the presence of God is with you and that he is for you. And so with your hands in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, going places you typically wouldn't go, but going because Jesus has called you there. May you experience the depth of the power of God, the life of the Spirit, the warmth of the Father's love. And may you express and give that grace that you've received to others you encounter this week. I bless you on the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, 
Amen. Grace and peace, everyone.